Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mad Podcast, the Mental Awareness Discussion, brought to you as always by Broken Drift Productions and AZ Banana Bros. Make sure you get your Banana Bros swag online. Follow them at AZ Banana Bros and at Broken Drift Productions on all of the social media platforms. My name is Miles Weber. With me always is my co-host for this podcast and my co-host in life, my wife, Heather Weber. Hello, dear. How are you? I am cozy. How are you? Oh, I'm just peachy. I'm not as cozy as you right now. So, but I mean, I'm the only place I can be comfortable. Yes, yes, yes. She's in bed right now because pregnant, very, very pregnant. So, yeah, bed is where she is coziest. So, right on. Thank you for reporting hard from the bed, dear. And joining us today is a very good friend of mine and also a very well respected journalist. He is an amazing human being at Inside and Out. And we're very happy to be talking to him today. Give it up for my friend, Jarrett Hill. Jarrett, what's up, homie? How are you, man? Hey, man. I'm doing really well. I feel like I didn't have as good a, an adjective like as peachy or cozy, but I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good, you know. I don't good. know if that works, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, peaches, cozes, it's all good, man. It's all relative. It's all in between. Sure. We're yes. making it happen. We're making it work. Uh, so yeah, so <clears throat> why don't you give uh, folks a little bit of background on who you are, what it is you do, and all that fun stuff. Just oh, so that people have, um, have context. Yeah, I mean, I'm a journalist and writer and producer. I host a show that is a podcast like this one um called Fanti and uh we talk about the things that we love but have some uh the that the things that we love that we have some challenging feelings about um you can get it wherever you get your podcasts uh new episodes on Thursdays um and uh I'm currently working on uh, a book project I'm doing a lot of television and development stuff so busy journalist writer producer person Absolutely. Yes. 100%. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, and <clears throat> we brought you on our mental health podcast because you are a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. I, I did hear about on. that. Yes, I that's did. the thing. Yeah, I don't know if you got yes. the email. Cause, I mean, cause oh, no, I I go to the meeting, so it's, you know. Like... That's good. That's good. Oh man, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great if that's how you that's how you come out? You just get it in the mail or like an email. Just, oh, I guess I'm gay now. All right, right. That, I guess just... that's how that works. Okay. It would have made it would have made it so much easier for me. Let me tell you. But that's right? a different conversation for a different therapist. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we do on here anyway. Is is dive you know. into those layers. We we like to pick at those. Um. Yeah. Let's uh. Let's talk about your mental health as a result of your identity. You know. I mean. I think that's uh, a side of things that people might not consider when thinking of the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh. You know. It's just kind of like the mental health side of things. What are some things about being within that community? that could be very mentally, let's say taxing, if you will, um, as a result of identifying in that community? I mean, I would say for myself, uh, I, I would be better off speaking for myself than for like the whole of the community, obviously, but like as a, at the intersections of where I fall as a black gay man um, who is, you know, living in Los Angeles, I know that some of the unique elements for me um, the, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is thinking about race and the way that race plays, um, uh, you know, a factor in our queer communities. 
Um, I'm always thinking about things through the lens of race. One of the things I do is I'm president of the National Association of Black Journalists of uh, Los Angeles here. And so we're always talking about black journalists and thinking about black journalists and comms professionals. Um, and you know, race is something that has had a lot of impact on my own mental health just as an individual. But if we're thinking about queerness um, on our show, uh, I think this week or next week, we're doing a show on online dating, right? And like, as you think about being a queer person, race is an interesting thing when it comes to dating because there's so many things to consider. Um, if you are a black person, you know, the question is like, oh, do you date anyone that's not black? And then if you are dating someone that's not black, then there's a social thing about that, right? About being in an interracial relationship. There's a whole way that people, you know, um, there's a whole way to feel about like the white gay community um, there's a whole other situation for folks that are like, I'm only dating within my race or I'm only dating black and brown. Um, and I think like, that's probably one of the things at the forefront of my mind right now, as I'm like single and actively dating again. Um, but like when it comes to queerness, I feel like the, the thing that is, that cuts through every issue that we have um, is race because typically, you know, anything that is experienced by black and brown people tends to be disproportionately often negative. So um, that's the long answer, I guess. Oh, for sure. We appreciate the long answer. Um, so would you would you refer to it as the black queer community, then? Uh, as far as because I I'm trying to get the differentiation differentiation between the two for people who don't necessarily understand, because people don't understand like, how many different facets there are of that community, you know, so there's a lot sure. of different subdivisions and everything like that. So where do you think, um, yeah, where do things come into play once you start to differentiate between those two communities? Like how distinctly, how are they different distinctly, you mean? Yes. Um, I feel like our white gay community is, uh, I heard a friend describe it as, you know, white gay, white gay men just wanted like access to all of their privilege and that's why they went out fighting for marriage, right? And I think mm -hmm. that like um, America's uh, uh, lens on queerness is often through the lens of marriage because we've had marriage equality and gay marriage and all of this language that's been out in the lexicon for so long um, and, you know, the equal sign and the rainbow and pride and all of those things. But like the real issue was about marriage, but I mean, I know for black and brown folks that are queer, like our conversations around marriage have been like very low priority, right? And even when we see those kinds of groups, um, the people who are leading the movements of those things, like if we think about gay marriage, gay marriage specifically, um, the, the Supreme Court case was, you know, white folks, right? They, the way that that went forward. And so like um, the, the issues of the, the intersectionally marginalized people kind of tend to fall by the wayside and it's always kind of like the, oh, well, you know, we'll deal with you all later. Um, and so like the same issues that we have in culture throughout, you know, cisgendered heterosexual people, when it comes to like whiteness, it all applies in gay community as well, right? Um, it's just a different kind of oppression compounded that a couple of different times with intersections. Whereas I should say the black community, the black queer community is its own like thing, right? With, mm -hmm. with you know, language that tends to permeate culture uh, in, in unique and specific ways and really tend to um, take a lot of space in entertainment when um, we're thinking about black and brown queer communities. When we think about 
um, just specifically black queer culture, there's so much to do with, you know, design and, um, and dance and, you know, creative arts, but also like, there are really, really fantastic intellectuals in the black queer community as well, um, that are taking on the issues of, uh, of being queer, but also of being a, a um, even more marginalized person, if you think about being queer and then being black and then being a, a woman, right? Like there are multiple intersections to that. So um, that's kind of the juxtaposition that that kind of is in my mind as we ask, as we talk about the distinctions between the two communities. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you think you wish more people outside of those communities knew about those communities? Just day to day, you know, as far as like mentally what's going on? Because I mean, it's a, like you broke down. There are many different layers that are happening in there. And I mean, I think we've had, there's been a lot of like buzz talking around the gay community, uh, especially right now. I think a lot of stuff's been coming out with a lot about like Dave Chappelle's special and everything. And so there were some things that were said within that, that were shedding lines mm -hmm. for the community. So what are some things that you think people just are under informed about to do with the mental health side of the black queer community? Um, I think that when we're looking at things that are happening in the world right now, with whether it is, you know, all of the trans anti-trans laws that are going into uh, legislatures and into effect in certain places. Um, when we think about homelessness and poverty, when we think about, you know, housing issues, when we think about the environment, like whatever the issues are that we are, that are, that matter to you, like those issues matter to queer people, right? And to queer black people. And I think that so often um, black queer communities tend to um, find it's find themselves in mainstream culture through the lens of like HIV and AIDS or drag, right? Because like RuPaul's Drag Race is a huge show right now and it's a fantastic show, it does very well, right? But like their black queer communities tend to be portrayed in those ways, but we don't get to see like the intellectualism of those folks or the varying sexualities of those folks or the way that those people engage, you know, religion and stuff like that. And so like, we're starting to see more and more images of different kinds of folks, which is great. Um, but I think that oftentimes if we're thinking about like, what do people not understand? I think that um, oftentimes people who are not within the LGBTQ community kind of think that our whole lives are about being gay, right? Like my whole life is about being trans or my whole life is about being, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, 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 I have all of the same issues that you have and this, mm -hmm. right? And so um, that's something that I think people uh, should be thinking about because like it is a compounded, you know, level of challenge um, or oppression, right? Being pressed uh, down on, on so many different people. So um, I think it's important to always be thoughtful of like a comprehensive person. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, would you, how accepting or loving, or I'm not even sure what the right word would be, how accepting of the Black queer community do you think that the Black community is, like, outside of that? Because I'm sure that that's another thing that people don't really understand is that there might be some pushback to those two communities. I mean, it's a, it's a mixed thing. I, th I think there's a lot of narrative about the ways that Black communities aren't supportive of LGBTQ folks. And I mean, certainly there's that narrative that exists and there's some level of truth to it. Um, but I also, 
I would have to say like my own personal experience, like I grew up super Christian and very much in church and things like that. And like my mom was like the main person I was worried about coming out to because my mom was, you know, my mom was super Christian. And so um, one of the things I've only really started to recently appreciate is that like my mom has been the person who has worked the very hardest to understand me to, you know, respect me, to ask questions when she didn't understand something. And so I, I think it's important that we we start countering that narrative a little bit more to, to be able to appreciate how much good there is uh, in, in Black queer community and Black community in general, I should say, um, because there is, there's plenty of narrative about the negative, but um, my, my experience has been, um, relatively positive over the long run um you know there are challenges for sure but um but you know that's my experience for sure with when it comes to mental health what challenges do you feel like that community faces when it comes to maybe like finding the right therapist or psychiatrist for you or is there kind of like a, a gap there for sure i think that when we uh when we're thinking about how communities are looking for therapy, I know for myself, I went into therapy really wanting a black woman, right? When you have live at different intersections of identity, um, the parts that, that might bring you the most comfort or might feel the most familiar are probably the ones that you're gonna wanna lean into. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a you know Latina trans woman, you might end up wanting a woman, you might wanting someone that's Latino or that is trans or that is a Latino trans woman, right? Like I know for me, my, the thing I really wanted to lean into was, was the black woman piece because black women had always been the people who supported me the most when I was young, who made space for me when I was like, you know, not being accepted and, and welcomed. So that was really, really comfortable for me, but I ended up getting a Latina woman um, twice actually, back to back. Um, I've had two Latina women because that's who I got placed with and we ended up clicking. Um, I found that for me, it wasn't necessarily about needing a black woman per se, but needing a woman who understood race in the way that it affected me, right? And so um, a, a running joke that I have on our show is that like my favorite kinds of white people are the white people who can call white people white people. And so what I mean by that is like, you know, there's a, there's a cringe for white people to be called white sometimes, right? Or to even like address their whiteness or that they, you know, the way that that whiteness uh, has an impact on their daily lives. And so if we're talking with, you know, a, a white woman therapist who can't even like call white people white people, right? Um, you're probably not gonna be the therapist for me because a lot of the shit that I have to come in here and talk about is the way that white women have treated me at work horribly throughout my entire career, right? And how I'm dealing with that or how, you know, it feels in my neighborhood for X thing to happen or when I go home to my family, my black family for Christmas, what those interactions are gonna feel like or, or what have you, right? Um, and so I think that that can be a challenge. One, I think the challenge is, is um, figuring out what you're looking for. And then two, um, making yourself comfortable if you can't find what you think you need, right? And kind of like settling into that. Um, so that's kind of what that process has been like for me. I just ended a year with my therapist and I'm gonna be, be um, probably taking on a new one next year. And like, that's an open question for me now. It's like, hmm, 
how should I be thinking about that? What should I be looking for in another therapist and the new journey that I will go on from here? For sure. And when you got placed with like the two Latina therapists, were you, did you state that you were looking for a black female or was this just kind of the first? I think that I don't remember how that, I'm trying to, I don't remember how that went. I think it was like, this was like the first person available or something like that, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that, you know, oftentimes you don't get to ask those kinds of questions or ask for that, that kind of specificity, depending on, you know, if you're, you know, what kind of system you're in um, and accessing care, so. Yeah, no, because we, we've asked a couple of people, um, you know, of all walks of life of if they had a military background or whatever the case may be. And it was like, oh, well, they didn't have that, but they tried to match me with this. So I was just wondering if there was any direct ask. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember being asked, to be honest, because it was like, we've got X, Y, and Z, you know, yeah, this is the first available thing. I think that's how that went. For sure. That makes sense. Cool thing we've been observing lately has been seeing a surge in uh, women of color becoming therapists or mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. We've really seen, uh, you know, most of the mental health professionals we've had on this podcast have been women of color in some degree. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's really cool to see. And that's something that people totally don't think about. You also mentioned something uh, when you were talking there this last go around about the workplace and some of the things that you've been subjected to in the workplace. Can you talk about how it can leak into that area of your life, uh, identifying the way that you do? Um. Uh, I mean, being a black and being queer and being black and queer, because I always distinguish the, those as three things, um, you know, it shows up in, in ways that you, you can't always necessarily name, but you can oftentimes feel. Um, I always talk about how, uh, you know, if if you can feel the racism, but you can't really point to it, that's the institutional racism shit, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> something about this just do not, what is it in here? It's like, oh no, honey, it's in the air. Okay, it, it's not just me, right? Like, I'm not making this shit up, right? It's like someone um, farted, and so, you know, just like. <sighs> yeah, it's like. Are you, did you racist just now? <laughs> You know what I mean? And it turns out it's like, oh, it's the policy on, you know, how you can move about X, Y, Z. It's like, oh, I thought that's not racist. Okay. You know, <laughs> um, it's like those kinds of things pop up all the time. And so like, I, I mean, I talk pretty openly about this much probably to their chagrin, but like I had a boss that made it pretty clear that she wanted a blonde white woman in my job and not me. And like her boss had told her that she had to hire me. And like, she treated me like she did not want me there every single day that I was there, right? I've been like, I have worked with specifically like white women time and time again, who have like really like undermined me and tried to like cut me and like, and make my life really difficult at work um, in ways that like go back to third grade, right? Like Mrs. Schneider, I'm talking about you, bitch. If I see you, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Watch out, Mrs. Snyder. No, but like, but like, Miss Snyder was like, was like accusing me of having done something that I still don't really understand to this to this day, right? To this white kid, but like, it was 
I, I remember being a little kid and like so traumatized by this white woman pointing down at me, telling me what I had done. And I'm like, I don't even know this kid. Like, what are you talking about? That goes all the way through my professional life. And so when I, all the way through my life, I should say, not just my professional life. And so when I'm thinking about the ways that it shows up, they are, they are many and they are big and they are small. Like they are, I don't know, this, no, you didn't like, or then it's sometimes like, what is that? Like, they're all over the place. It's hard to, to be able to name half of them some days. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Um, you, you said then there's one at a blonde white woman. And I'm like, why blonde? Like, it's already bad enough that you're like, get a white lady in here. Like, I mean, was she the had, blonde the necessary she, thing? to? to, to well, I think there was a specific blonde white woman that she wanted. Okay. I think that's what it was. And I was none of those things. So <laughs> you very much so were not and are not for sure. I've never known you to to be a blonde white woman. So but yeah, that seems like an odd one to me um uh man yeah no that was a lot uh especially back in school so that that's the thing i think uh, a lot of people in the straight community as it were they don't understand the mental toll on uh just kind of like growing up trying to come to terms with these feelings that you're having because every person i've talked to that's in the community for the most part it seems like when they were young they knew like, oh yeah, no, this is a thing. This is how I feel. This is definitely the direction that I'm going to. And it's just what happens, you know? What do you think uh, as far as mental health and coming out go? What are some things that people just don't understand about just how difficult that is? Like you had mentioned, you know, the, the stresses of coming out to your mom and everything, but I mean, just it's the scale and the spectrum of stress associated with coming out to whoever it is, you know? Yeah, I, uh, this past year, I've been kind of like processing some things in therapy. And I was going back to the first time I remember, like the first gay moment. Um, and like, I didn't know that's what it was, but I knew that something was odd about it. Um, I was in first grade, I liked the boy on the playground. And like, I knew that no one else was saying anything like that. And that I could not say that. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've been in therapy as an adult, thinking about what my experience of depression and anxiety have been, um, I was like, oh, well, I think I've experienced different elements of depression um, throughout my adult life. I'm like, oh, there was this period where I was feeling this way and oh, that happened then too. And like, I kept <clears throat> going back further and further. And I was, I said to my therapist, I feel like the the like the first seed of depression was started for me when I was six years old and I liked that boy and I couldn't say it mm. because I had to like hide something about myself mm. or like there was some kind of truth that I had to deny or like I don't know I can't like point to it and be like oh that's when the chemical started right <laughs> but like I can kind of point to like that moment because I know that that was the first of so many moments of feeling like I couldn't be myself. I couldn't express who I am or what I was thinking. And then like to have that reaffirmed, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, probably over the course of years and years when you hear a joke on TV or your teacher makes a comment or your dad says a thing about the person or your gay cousin gets treated X way or you, you know, whatever it is, um, time and time again, that quiets you more and more and more and more and more. And so the first time that I really, really remember 
feeling like, oh, these are feelings of depression and something is wrong is right after I came out. And I still believed all of the same things about church that my family was saying, like, you need to be delivered and we need to pray for you and all that shit. Um, and like, I believed that too. And the the challenge of that was like, I would have like these really high highs at work and then I would go to break and I would have really low lows immediately. Um, like, I remember working at Starbucks and like, I'm in the drive through window and I'm bubbly and all that shit. And then I go and I'm sitting in my car for my 15 minute break and I'm like near tears, right? It's just like up and down and up and down. And like, after so long of that, just being able to release it and praying and saying, you know, God, if that's what you want to do, just do it, but I can't. So I have to leave this alone. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's when depression like really started to show itself for me. Um, but I didn't have the name for it, right? I didn't know what to what this was. I just knew I was really going through a shit period and not feeling good about myself. Um, and I think it goes back to being six and like in the boy in, in first grade. Makes sense. Because I know, because um, for, for what you're saying, it almost sounds like triggers that take you back to that place in first grade. And I know a lot of people when they have triggers like that, it causes anxiety, but yours is more causes more bouts of depression because it takes you back to a lower place. Right? Well, I mean, I, I have a hard time like identifying what triggers depression for me. I know that a, a big part of it was like being burnt out from work. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, I spent five years covering Donald Trump in different ways at different times. And like, that was oppressive to my mental health. And like, my work at my worst was right um, at the end of the administration, right after um, the inauguration happened, I was suicidal. And like, really considering like, what do I need to do to take my own life? And, um, you know, that's pretty low for depression, right? And like, that's a that's pretty far over on the meter. Um, and so I know for myself, it's just been, there are many things that contribute to it, but like, I, I always think about that moment when I was six years old and thinking like, I can't name what that feeling was, but I knew something was like, Mm-mm. and I think that's really where that began for me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. For sure. Is there anything, um, I mean, was it a moment in therapy? Was there something that kind of brought you into your own sense of power where you were able to move forward? Or is there a coping mechanism or something that you've really discovered in therapy that's been a really useful key tool as far as like your mentality uh, to to be able to differentiate from that? Because that's a lot to go through. And like you said, going through those cycles and the ups and the downs and everything for a long time, you know, yeah, man, that's that's really hard. So what things really brought you into it? I would say the most powerful thing, well, I don't know if it's the most powerful thing, but like the most significant catalyst for me mm-hmm. was I came into therapy. Um, <laughs> I always say like, I am, I can hear the monologue in my therapist's head in my first session. Um, Cause I said to her, I was like, so I think I might be depressed, but I'm not really depressed, but I'm doing depressed shit, but I'm not depressed, right? And I could hear in her head, her being like, oh, so you're gonna be one of those, okay. And like sitting back in the seat with the notepad, like, here we go, right? Let me pull out the the one who doesn't believe in this uh, file, you know, like that, that stencil or whatever. <laughs> um, but like, I've been in therapy throughout my life, but I just, I depression was something I just could not attach to, right? I was like, I'm not one of those people. 
So throughout our sessions, a couple of different times, I said to her, I have been doing this depressed kind of shit, but it's not depression. Mm. And so she was like, I said to her, well, you know, the last few days I was doing this and she was like, oh, you mean like depression? And I was like, oh, and like, then I saw the light went on that day. And um, it was, that was the catalyst for me of being able to like appreciate like, oh, this is actually a thing. Um, and it was also kind of liberating for me because I, for a long time, I just thought I was lazy. I was being lazy all the time mm. um, because for me, depression shows up in fatigue and tiredness and, you know, needing sleep and stuff like that. And that's one of the ways. Um, and I was like, oh no, this is a thing. I'm not just being an asshole, right? Like I'm feeling something and now I can do something about it. Mm. Um, and that was probably the thing that I felt like gave me the most power because I was like, oh, this isn't just like a bad personality trait. This is something that I can do something with or do something about and talk about, so. Beautiful, beautiful, I love that. Did she start yeah. having you do like any like cognitive behavioral therapy or like journaling or anything like that? I've never been a good journaler. She's asked me to journal many times. I think I've maybe read- Cause you're a journalist. I know, I know. I, it's ridiculous. She's but like, why don't you just write about written... you and your feelings? And you're like, ugh, sounds terrible. Like, Who has that kind of time, right? <laughs> um, mind you, my publisher will be very happy that I'm like writing. There are moments when I write, like I will just go and write, usually at the aid of an edible. And like, I will go and write for hours and like get it out, but like, not nearly as frequently as my my therapist wanted um but like i i started talking to her about how as soon as i realized that's what it was i could more actively like get up and move or like or just allow myself to be in it um i also after being suicidal for you know that period or whatever i then i said you know after a few weeks i I started feeling better. And I, when I talked to my therapist, I was like, I think I still want to be on meds. I want to try it um, because I had been curious, but not like really into it. Um, and then I thought, you know, I'm starting to feel better, but like, I shouldn't have to be wanting to kill myself to take this kind of step forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, then that, that became a thing, so. Okay. I don't even remember what the question was. Now, what am I talking about? <laughs> uh, if you're doing journaling or like cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, yeah. But like I'm, I'm on meds now and like that's been its own journey of like adjust up, you know, adjust down, add thing, like take out. So like that's something that I'm kind of going through right now is like, you know, I don't know that this is doing anything or do I still need to be taking this? So you know, talk with my doctors about that, but I haven't done like, um, the kinds of exercises you were talking about. I haven't really done those things. Okay. That's what I was just to say, if meds are working, that's great. It's, I mean, it's just finding yeah. the cocktail because I get that it's yeah. drag and drop everything. What do you think, uh, support from a friend or a loved one looks like of, people in these communities, you know, how somebody who is trying to 
be there as much as they possibly can for you? What does that person look like? Um, I can say for me, uh, when my family found out I was depressed or that I had been talking about depression and all this other stuff, um, I did this post and I was saying like, I just started in depressions and I hadn't thought about all of the incoming that would be a result of that. Um, and it was really, really overwhelming to the point where I was like shutting down, like, oh my God, okay. And like, there's a lot of goodwill, right? But it's also a lot of text messages and emails and phone calls and voicemails and DMs and tags and notes and mentions and like, and it's a lot. And so my mom, my mom started like calling me every evening. And I was like, by like night three, I was like, okay, look this is too much. We do not talk this much. Chill out. <laughs> and so she was like, well, I just wanted to make sure I was like, look, lady, like y'all are doing a lot. And I, I had to tell my mom and my stepdad and my dad and my stepmom, like, so I love y'all. And I'm really, really grateful that y'all are doing what you can do to try and help in practical application all of the phone calls and text messages and what like it it's overwhelming and it's it doesn't end up being helpful that you are intending for it to so i receive and appreciate that you love me and like just staying normal is the the best thing that we can do as opposed to like asking me every day how i'm feeling right um and so that was the way that my family could support me because i didn't want to be inundated with with things and like nowadays whenever I talk about depression, I try to remind myself to unplug from things because I know how much incoming it can be and it can be really, really overwhelming. Um, and so, yeah, those are, that's that. Da, 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 da. That's how you can be supportive. I guess, talk with people, talk, ask them what they need as opposed to like assuming. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we kind of assume what people want. And I mean, even if that's coming out of the good place, right? Like. I'm assuming that this person needs someone to check on them or I'm assuming that this person needs, you know, some attention or some love. But like, I think sometimes the, the best thing that we can do with, especially with communities that we don't understand or people that we don't understand is just listen or, or ask what you can do um, and, and, you know, be attentive in the ways that are necessary. For sure. That makes sense. Do you feel like, I know because you said you have a podcast and you have quite the platform like on social media and everything like that. Do you feel comfortable being as open as you were with that initial post about your mental health or do you kind of just stay back and keep it to close friends and family? Um, I, I talk about depression a good amount on the show. Um, and I last year in July, I did a story um, for Self Magazine, talking with journalists, Black journalists specifically, about what it was like getting through June last year. June, you know, uprisings everywhere, um, you know, our quote-unquote racial reckoning or whatever. Um, and so, like, that was a really, really hard month to be a journalist um, for a lot of different journalists around the country. And so, because I did that story, I ended up talking about mental health a lot more it gets referenced back to quite a bit and people will say oh we saw your story we'd love to have you come talk about and so in that now the expectation is more often for me to want to talk about mental health um in ways that i had not really you know anticipated but i'm happy to be a part of um because like 
you know, it's a, it's an important thing. And I don't think that uh, even in this time where like we have more and more people talking about it, I think that sometimes it's just helpful for folks to hear from someone who's, who's going through it, right. Mm -hmm. Who's trying to understand it um, and work through it. And so um, I, I feel like of the things I am willing to offer from my life uh, to people, that is one of the things that I'm willing to offer um, people to be able to consume. Um, if it's helpful to, you know, make people, uh, to show people how they can, you know, get through it. For sure. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think there was something that you touched on that made me think of like, I feel like we all just need a better baseline of interactions and empathy with each other. Because I think a lot of what you were speaking to was the differentiation between like pre saying you had depression and then, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with right now later. Um, and people just being like, Oh man. And so it's just kind of like the, well, now you care thing. And it's just like, where is this coming from? I don't want to seem like, you know, it's a chore for you to like be caring with me. So I feel like if we had a better baseline of just like being here with each other, just all day, every day, that gap would probably be way smaller than. Well, well, yeah. And I think, I mean, I didn't have the, you care about me now feeling, but I do know that that's a, that that is a common feeling as well. Um, but I, I more so, I think part of it is is listening and and you know being more attentive to one another or, or sensitive to one another. But I think also a lot of it is like us not being able to articulate it to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So like I went into therapy trying to tell her that I wasn't depressed, right? Mm -hmm. And so like I had to like learn that. And I think that you know we hear so many people talk about oh everybody's depressed now or everybody's got anxiety or everybody's gay or everybody's trans or whatever. And it's like no, it's not that there are more instances of these things occurring we just have more language to describe it now right like I wasn't calling it depression in my 20s or early 30s right I was saying that I didn't feel good or that I was tired or that I you know I didn't feel like going to the thing or I couldn't get the work done or whatever right now I can say like oh no this is a thing that's happening it's depression and like more people get that. So more people are identifying with that language. And I think that um, part of it is like us being in, in tune with each other and like listening to each other and being sensitive. But I think also part of it is us being in tune with ourselves and being able to say like, oh, this is what I'm experiencing. And um, you know, this is why we have platforms like this, right? To be able to have these conversations about mental health and like be able to discuss it and see what I did there because those are the words. Um, it, but like. I, I think it's it's important that we that we have more and more language about it, um, that we hear more and more language so that we can have language for ourselves. Totally, I totally agree. Yeah, it's so important for us to be honest with ourselves, especially on how we're feeling. So yeah, I totally agree. More honesty and transparency all the time with each other. Like I, I think we should retire the fines and goods when we ask each other, "Hey, how's it going?" I get all up in it. Even as you're passing somebody like a pedestrian, they're like, how you doing? Like, not good. Today was a very bad day. Probably need a hug. Not from you though. Thank you for asking. Like just right, something right. that's just like a quick, you like, really yeah. get into it? do you really want to know? <laughs> well, since you asked, so. Right, exactly. I've got time today. <laughs> I showed up. Um, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. I love all of that. Um, well, I mean, I think that's uh, all the questions that we have for you, man. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, being so open and honest about all of this. I think this is uh, very important for people to hear, man. So thank you so much awesome. for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Go ahead and tell people where they can find you online and what they should be looking you up about. You can find me everywhere at Jarrett Hill. That's two R's and two T's um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook. I, if you're following me on Facebook, sorry. Um, Jarrett Hill on TikTok. Um, and uh, you can find our show Fanti, F A N T I, um, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Yeah, check out his podcast. He's always surprised that I listen to it every time I send him a quote from it. And it's a, it's a, <laughs> I'll send him you a quote and he'll be I, like, Are you listening? Right? And I'm like, Yeah, of course. It's I funny. I always say, like, I, I do feel like I have the gift for being able to hear the listeners' questions and be able to ask them, but it also never occurs to me that people are listening. So when someone says something back to me like, oh my God, you said thing on the show. And I'm like, what? Oh, oh yeah, okay. Like, it always makes me weird. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It's a dope podcast, so definitely check it out. 100%. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And you can follow me uh, at Miles Over Joker on all the things, and then Heather helps work our uh instagram handle for our podcast at mad podcast so you can find her on there make sure you like subscribe and share for all future episodes to help spread awareness of mental health my name is miles weber that's heather weber our friend jared hill thank you so much for joining us we'll see y'all next time bye everybody